bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Dragoo. The NSA is tasked with keeping an eye on threats to the homeland. You would think that's plenty to do. But somewhere between all that important work, the agency found time to create a super woke glossary for its employees. Also, Donald Trump went on social media to attack the judge in his New York fraud case right after a higher court lifted the gag order against him. And in a rare and momentary flash of concern for ethical behavior, one New York lawmaker is in trouble for bad behavior. We have those stories coming up, as well as a conversation with Christian Gomez about why the latest Article 5 convention advocate is wrong. But first, globalist forces are pushing the construction of a 15-minute city in Indiana. The 15-minute city is an urban layout where everything you need is within a 15-minute walk or bike ride. Now, private property owners in the Hoosier State are fighting for their rights over carbon capture pipeline and injection site proposals that are linked to a 15-minute city near Lebanon, a town near the state capital of Indianapolis. The project is aligned with the United Nations Agenda 2030. Deep state plotters have already broken ground on the 9,000-acre development. It's called the LEAP Project. The LEAP Project is promoted by the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, a public-private partnership which is funded by the state. Interestingly, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation has international offices in Japan, South Korea, China, Israel, the UK, Italy, and its European headquarters in Germany. Also, behind the LEAP Project is the Indiana Economic Development Foundation, which is backed by various utility companies like Centerpoint Energy, Duke Energy, Indiana Michigan Power, and NIPSCO. John Schrock, a regional field coordinator for the John Burr Society, told the New American that developers plan to pump 100 million gallons of water a day out of nearby aquifers to the 15-minute city. He warned that this is dangerous. Also, companies like Valero and BP want to install hundreds of miles of carbon capture pipeline through multiple counties. They also plan to inject that captured carbon into Class 6 wells 5,000 feet below the surface. The liquefied high-pressure CO2 will be injected into the Mount Simon Sandstone Geologic Formation. But when CO2 touches water, it becomes carbonic acid, which dissolves sandstone but can also poison the groundwater. Schrock says that even the EPA is concerned, especially because, the Indi because Indiana rests near two of the largest fault lines in the central U.S. As for who will live in this 15-minute city that's in the works, Schrock points to Princeton University's Net Zero America Decarbonization Project. Its recent study prescribed 17 million acres of solar farms so the state can achieve its net zero by 2050. The entire state is made up of 23 million acres, and roughly two-thirds of those are farmland. Schrock told the New American that when you put in 17 million acres of solar farms, we'll be left with little, if any, land to live on, to farm on, to build on. We'll be sacrificing these things in the future if we do not stop this. Schrock is holding a series of farmland conferences to warn people about these dangerous proposals and to give them the information that they need to defeat them. You can see a list of his upcoming events on his Facebook page, Pastor John Schrock. The United Citizens Against Carbon Pipelines and Sequestration also lists meetings hosted by county commissioners. So join me to discuss today's stories is Executive Senior Editor of the New American Magazine, Steve Bonta. Hi, Steve Bonta. Hi, Paul. So, Steve, why is this concerning? Why is this concerning? Well, because, you know, this 15-minute city idea, which has been around for a while, 
I'm given to understand, a couple decades at least. It doesn't sound like about, a terrible no, idea. No, it sounds very innocuous. The thing is, we already have such things as 15-minute cities. They're called towns and villages. And right. most sane, rational people prefer to live, or barring that neighborhoods. I mean, most even large urban areas tend to be organized around neighborhoods, each of which has its own grocery stores yeah. and amenities and so forth. This is the way that people organize anyway. The idea driving this is that, well, we have this perverse situation now with all these suburbs where people live in the suburbs, commute into the city, mm-hmm. commute to m- malls or whatever, do their and shopping they spew miles all away. That carbon. And they spew all that carbon, which is an unforgivable state of affairs. Mm-hmm. And so to do this, we have to have state planning. What people fail to realize is that this admittedly perverse situation of this, you know, you know these core cities, which are generally unlivable, Okay, surrounded by, you know, concentric ring after concentric ring of suburbs and exurbs and so forth. In some cases, people living up to like 1,800 miles away and commuting to work has been created by by government, you know, by government regulation in the first place, starting with the perverse disincentivization of business in the downtowns of most major cities. Even a small city like Appleton, Wisconsin, where we reside, there's comparatively little business in the downtown. If you want to go shopping, everybody knows you go out to the edge of the city to the various big malls and shopping centers and so forth that are there. And and this is because, you know, uh, municipal governments of of large cities just can't, in the last hundred years or so, can't seem to resist this impulse to crack down on business, to raise, you know, to, to make it harder and harder for someone to actually set up a shop. Yeah. You know, because of, you know, regulatory costs. So the net impulse as well, people, be, and of course, living there as well. They, you know, they, they raise uh, the property taxes and all the rest of this stuff, which is just endemic now to most of America's major urban corridors. And so people respond naturally, well, okay, you know, we'll, we'll move somewhere else out to the suburbs. But typically the large corporations that they work, that, that, that provide the employment in places like Manhattan and downtown Chicago and so forth, are still there. They're kind of grandfathered in. They know how to play the game. So the the office jobs are still there, but nobody in their right mind would consider living in downtown Chicago or New York. So this is the this wholly unnatural situation has been you know created in the first place by big government, specifically mm-hmm. big city government, to a lesser extent you know uh, the federal government, which for, for various arcane reasons of its own felt beginning in the 1950s, that the suburbanization of the United States would be a good a good idea. Yeah. But in reality, people naturally want to work and to shop and to live and to socially interact with the same people in the same town or neighborhood. And that happens as a result of spontaneous order. Yeah, but this isn't spontaneous. What do This you... isn't spontaneous because, of course, there's, there's a deeper agenda, as we indicate. It's not just about making life more convenient. It's about hewing to all of the climate, the radical climate yeah. imperatives being promulgated by Agenda 2030 is it, and, is it and things a, like that. Is it an effort to essentially corral everyone into these these little concentrated areas? Because then on the other side, we're seeing uh, the government try to label all this this wilderness like untouchable. They are taking more wilderness, especially here in the U.S., and at the same time, it seems like they're trying to corral everybody into these uh, the, these cities. And this has been the the goal of Agenda 2030 for a while. What do you say to that? Well, I, I, there's not much to say. I think you, you've summed it up nicely. the the <laughs> The agenda is, 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 is the, the radical environmental globalist agenda is twofold. Number one, 
we're going to separate people from nature, right? Nature in its pristinity needs to exist apart without the contaminating influence of, of trespassing human beings and their garbage and their noise mm-hmm. and all the, the, the this point of view views people first and foremost as being essentially two-legged vermin yes. that need to be like like real vermin controlled and penned in and so forth and so on and so then the cities become or or, or these 15-minute cities and other similar types of of planned arrangements become the mechanism for that and and, and I mean this isn't necessarily a new idea. I mean, this is a radical urban planning has been practiced in many countries, certainly the communist countries. China does it now on mm-hmm. a very large scale. In, in fact, um, you know, the school I, I, I taught for in China was being underwritten by a very large construction company that was one of the big players in building these big, you know, these what they call Xiaoqiu in China. Chinese, Chinese was literally small state, okay, which are these big, these mondo developments. And the idea was, we're going to start creating these things so that every one of them will have its own shopping center, its own school, its mm. own everything else. So very much on board with the same, and far more advanced than we are in this, yeah. with this idea of pervasive urban planning for the good of the human vermin on the one hand yeah. who need to be herded and, 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 and culled if necessary the masters and on the other hand the planet which can't abide our presence yeah I would I would point also to the fact that we we showed how there are international these organizations who are working these aren't necessarily just Indiana they have these offices and they have all these international arms this is bigger than Indiana this is this absolutely is concerning thank you Steve next up The NSA created an absurd glossary of terms for its employees. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights, and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you, for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. Welcome back. The Marxist indoctrination of American federal workers continues at your expense. The National Security Agency created a glossary of work terms for its employees. The glossary was obtained by the Daily Wire. It includes 327 social justice terms and endorses left-wing views on race and sex. It promotes critical race theory and queer theory. It cites infamous race hucksters like Robin DiAngelo, the author of the book White Fragility, and Ibram X. Candy, the fraud behind CRT. The document defines terms like white fragility and white privilege. It also criticizes America's founders and accuses them of settler colonialism. The agency promotes the core tenets of CRT. It says that racism is institutional and systemic and something that white European peoples are guilty of. The document has raised concerns about the agency's priorities. Critics argue that it undermines national security. You don't say. This move by the NSA aligns with President Biden's executive orders aimed at creating a whole-of-government equity agenda in the federal workforce. All right, Steve. So 
This seems really interesting, and I'm not sure how concerning it is, but it doesn't seem right that federal employees would be subjected to this. The, the ideas behind this alone are 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 dangerous and well, stupid. Well, I, I beg to differ with you. It seems absolutely fitting and condign, given, given, given how the said federal employees have been behaving. Uh, the federal employees are in a unified cartel at variance with the interests of the American people. They've shown that in the open you know, warfare that they engaged in against President Trump, his boss, in theory, while he was president. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 have, I don't really have much sympathy for them. This is very much self-inflicted. Secondly, the NSA, which has got to be one of the creepiest of all the alphabet soup agencies. And I, and I have to say parenthetically that probably one of the in hindsight, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life was not pursuing an opportunity. A job with SA? A job. Well, I, I had an opportunity, you know, years ago when I was an undergraduate at Penn State, I was into languages. I studied a lot of Russian and this type of thing. And I did talk to her. This was long before I knew what the NSA was all about or anything about the deep state or anything like this, but decades ago. But I talked to an NSA recruiter and they were very interested in me. They sent me this great big folder of stuff. And I remember to this day, you know, the application materials. And I started reading through it and started explaining, you know, if you work for the NSA, you need to begin now. If you want to work with severing all contacts with any friends or co or people that you know who are not U.S. citizens, because mm. you will not have you know, went through this long list of you know all the the rules that you're going to have to have in your life and controls. And I looked at that. No, that's okay. And I threw the whole thing in the trash burner, and that was the end of it. Yeah. Um, but so, what's the allure but, if they if if basically if you take a job with the NSA and they essentially control? Your social activity. What what's the appeal well, to it's, it? Well, it's like you know, it's because it's, it's cool work. You know, well, I suppose it is. I mean, the, the, I remember the recruiter sensing my keen interest in languages. Oh, if you work with us, you know, you can learn. We have a guy that knows twenty different languages. That he just he keeps getting certified in this language and the other language. That's that's definitely a thing you could do. You know, yeah. and, and so it does attract. Uh, nerd types, I guess, who are willing to go over to the dark side, as it yeah. were. The NSA, of course, is the chief. Mm, surveillance and espionage arm of the U.S. government. It is collects, it? Oh, absolutely. I'd say it has a competition. No, you don't no, think more, so? Between more the FBI the CIA, and CIA? No, they, the, the, the FBI and CIA, the, 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 the real action is at the NSA, and it's oh. probably more secretive than either of those other two organizations. No kidding. Oh. And it quietly, it just gathers massive amounts of, 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 of sigint and humant in you know data, yeah. particularly SIGIN, you know, it's intercepted signals, and most of the people who work there spend all their time going through broadcast, uh, you know, it's intercepted stuff in uh, Russian or Chinese or Arabic or Farsi or whatever, and translating it and then analyzing it and so forth and so on. That sounds That's like what they right do. up your alley. Oh, it would have been, yeah. except for the problem that oh, well, they're the part NSA. of the deep state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the NSA. Sure. What do you, what do you so, make of all yeah. this? It, I don't know if the, if we've ever really talked about it. All this anti-white. Uh, sentiment. This, I mean, the fact that it seems to be present at the, at the NSA, that's really concerning. At is, at is, at least for me. What, what do you think of it? Well, no, it's just it's it's not that complicated, Paul. We're in the midst of a slow motion cultural revolution. The cultural revolutionaries, as was the case in China and Stalinist Russia, but why Russia, are white people the target? Well, because let they me have finish. The because the, the the revolutionaries uh, are seated in government mm -hmm. primarily and, and other, you know, academia, other 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 nodes of, of of cultural power, you know, academia and the media and so forth. And the aim of any revolution in the true sense of the word, and we sometimes apply the word ambiguously to mean things like the American Revolution, which really wasn't that revolutionary. It was a war of independence, but a true revolution 
involves a radical act calculated with, you know, deliberation of forethought to totally overturn all of the existing um, cultural assumptions, the power structures, and everything else. Because in, in, in the theory, the theorizing of true revolutionaries, only thus can you prepare ground for an entire, you know, an overhaul of government mm. and society. You first have to destroy root and branch everything that goes before it. Okay? So all of these Gramskians and all of these Frankfurt School types and all of these, the postmodern thing, all these people understand this very clearly. And it is true that most of the people who came up with uh, the ideas and the structures that make up modern Western civilization were white men. Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay. Yes. I mean, you know, Isaac Newton was a white man. John Locke was a white man. Benjamin Franklin, the founding fathers, were white men and so forth. All the so obviously you need to target and, and, and delegitimize men, mm-hmm. white culture, Christianity, yeah. all of the things that are associated with it. This is very deliberate. It's not happening by accident. And most of these people in, you know, who, are, who are part of who, the simps in, within the Beltway, you know, who are part of the government, who many of them are white men themselves, yeah. uh, but they're thinking, well, you know, we have to fall on our swords in a sense, metaphorically speaking, so that we can achieve the objective, which is a true revolution. And what does the world look like after that revolution? Well, we are going to have absolute power to remake the world in our own image, which we've been dreaming about. But all of these obstacles, primarily erected by white men in the past, mm-hmm. have stood in our way. That's, that's the logic of it. And it makes perfect sense, really. If you understand truly the nature of revolution, the nature of radicalism, radical means comes from the word radix, which means root. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that to affect real change, you can't just cut trees down. You have to dig out the roots, destroy them, as they say, root and branch. Yeah. Right? And this is part of a huge demoralization campaign, Absolutely. isn't it? Sure. That's part of it, too. Obviously, you know, the more... Uh, the more you can persuade people of the wrongness of being white, male, patriarchy, mm-hmm. Christian, conservative, right wing, whatever the whatever the particular yeah. you know uh, obloquies happen to be, you know you can condition people to to reject those things. Then a lot of your work is done for you. Yeah, and when the time comes, and they for carry an, it out for you, right? You and when the time the- comes for an actual revolution, when the mobs, you know, when the jacquerie actually rise up and start burning and looting and, and and you know and this sort of thing, and then of course, oh, they'll never do that, Steve. Right. Well, so, so you know, when that happens, it makes the task that much easier because the people who would resist you and say, no, no, vive l'ancien regime, you know, are are, are have been demoralized and dispirited and just are going to slink away and yeah. or perhaps submit to the yoke. Well, we saw this sentiment really come to the surface during the 2020 riots. You were in China at the time, so I don't know how. No, I was watching, watching it keenly watching, from right? abroad. I got to say, was yeah. it pretty obvious that that's what was happening? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 2020, 2018. Yeah, the, the whole throughout the whole Trump administration, it's obvious now. Yeah. I mean, at the moment. The impetus is 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 using the hijacked justice system to serve their ends. But let us make let there be no doubt about it. If by some miracle, and it would be a miracle, a major miracle, if Trump were actually to be reelected and reinaugurated as president, hell are going to be open. Oh, absolutely. The 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 same things. They're simply going to snap their fingers, and we're going to go back to you know blood in the streets and rioting and and looting. so that people will beg, as they did ultimately, a lot of them say, oh, you know, Trump, I guess he really is kind of disruptive and divisive. So we're, we're going to change master so they'll th- they'll give us peace and stability once again. We'll yeah. see how that's working that out. That was the goal. Thanks, Steve. Well, hey, folks, 
The New American just released their latest collector's edition bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we can't be free. This polished collector's edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearms reliance, and many other topics. The authors are experts on, in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. Next up, Congress is diverting its righteous indignation at one Republican charlatan, and Trump is insulting the judge who had gagged them. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Republican Representative George Santos of New York just announced that he won't run for re-election. This happened after the House Ethics Committee alleged that it found substantial evidence that he violated federal criminal laws. The panel's investigative subcommittee recommended that its findings be referred to the Department of Justice. Santos is accused of using campaign donations for personal financial profit. He allegedly transferred at least $200,000 to his personal accounts and he spent campaign funds on personal purchases and credit card payments. The scathing ethics committee report has ignited calls that he be expelled from Congress. In his response to the report, Santos said on X, if there was a single ounce of ethics in the ethics committee, they would have not released this biased report. We'll see if Santos is actually expelled from Congress. His reputation has already been tarnished because of false biographical statements that he has made and admitted to. Santos is far from the only politician who has lied to his constituents. Think about the oath of office that every member of the House and Senate takes to uphold the Constitution. To what extent do congressmen honor that solemn oath? According to the New Americans Freedom Index, which rates how every member of Congress votes based on the Constitution, most federal lawmakers violate their oath of office most of the time. George Santos' Lifetime Freedom Index score, however, is 90%. Well, that's a pretty good index score there, Steve. Too bad that Santos apparently likes to be unethical, but he's not very different from others, is he? How come he's getting all the blame here? <laughs> well, I think, I, th I think you just revealed that because he, is, he has by far and away the highest Freedom Index score, the best performance. Of anyone in New York? Of anyone in the New York congressional delegation, mm -hmm. including the senators. Okay, yeah. and that includes um, you know a fair number of Republicans from out there in the New York hinterland. Most of those are, are Rhino types. Yeah. Okay, so Santos is this lone shining light. He's definitely a flawed hero. I mean, he's an open he's an open homosexual. Mm -hmm. uh, he was uh, people you know elected him knowing that. Uh, I think he's the first openly homosexual Republican, Republican to be elected to Congress. Yeah. So, so so you know so so there's that, and 
he but but quite aside from that, he he is quite unethical. However, you know, given the larger dark pantheon of thieves, liars, and all-around mountebanks <laughs> that constitute the usual populace on Capitol Hill and in the White House, and for that matter, throughout he fits all in. official Washington. Well, no, he, he's actually, not even as bad. He's as He's not huh? at all conspicuous. Mm. Okay, I mean, he's. I mean, you consider the things and we, we talked fault. about this. I think just yesterday or the day before. You know, why isn't Hillary Clinton in jail? Given the flagrant stuff that she did while she was Secretary right. of State, Santos went wrong because he got caught. Oh, well, she got <laughs> caught too. Most of them do get caught. You know, the Bidens have been caught, but so far there have been no consequences ensuing. Mm. No, San, Santos's sin was not being uh, corrupt. Everyone, virtually everyone in Capitol Hill is is, is corrupt. I mean, you know, this is the reason, for example, (coughs) that um, probably uh, the most flourishing prostitution sector in the United States is that centered on Capitol Hill. Everybody knows this. No connection. Oh, the the corruption runs wide and deep in Washington. It has for a very long time. It's the nature of political people, I think, Mm -hmm. to be corrupt. Santos's crime is being a sort of MAGA-ish pro-constitution type of guy, yeah. which particularly in a place like New York, the Empire State, no less, yeah, yeah. is well-nigh an unpardonable unacceptable. sin. Thanks, Steve. All right, well, let's look at our final story. So Donald Trump recently got some rare good news. A gag order imposed by New York Judge Arthur N. Gorin had silenced Trump and his legal team. And Gorin, who openly despises Trump, has collaborated with racist Attorney General Letitia James to ruin the former president and confiscate his assets. But late yesterday, appeals court judge David Friedman suspended the gag order and suggested that it might have been a violation of Trump's free speech. And Gorin has fined Trump twice and threatened him with imprisonment for saying mean things about his court staff. Friedman pointed out that gag orders only apply in criminal trials where there is a danger of swaying a jury. In this case, the trial is civil and there is no jury. After the ruling, Trump went on Truth Social to tell the world exactly what he thought of Judge Ingorn and his kangaroo court. He said, quote, his ridiculous and unconstitutional gag order not allowing me to defend myself against him and his politically biased and out of control Trump hating clerk who is sinking him and his court to new levels of low is a disgrace. Trump also went after Letitia James, quote, they are defending the worst and least respected attorney general in the United States, Letitia James, who is a worldwide disgrace, as is her illegal witch hunt against me. A final decision on whether to overturn and Gorin's ludicrous gag order has yet to be made, since this is all playing out in the New York court system, which has been thoroughly weaponized against Trump, it may well be reinstated. All right, Steve, so I have lost track of how many gag orders have gone back and forth, I think just in this case, or am I mixing up my cases? I've lost track, too, to tell the truth. But, you know, I mean, the the spin that was being put on this by the mainstream media when the story broke last evening was, well, this is only a suspension. We kind of knew this was going to happen because, you know, Angoran may have acted precipitously. But but we'll see if they actually if the judge actually overturns it. And I'm skeptical that he will, because he is, after all, a New York state judge. Mm. And we've had all of the machinations of the New York justice system and the New York City justice system on sordid display for the last year or so. So I don't know that Trump is ultimately going to get a break, but it's, you know, it's refreshing to see this at least because because all this stuff will go on the record. We already know what the outcome of this case is going to be. It's all a formality and Gorin 
is going to rule against him. Yeah. He's already made his bias clear. There's no question what's going to well, happen. Well, this is about the sentencing. It's not, he's already he's already decided that he's guilty, right? This is a sentencing well, yeah, trial. No, and, and, right, and, and he'll he'll do the worst he can. You know, Trump uh, Trump lawyer Alina Haba has, has said as much, the, the, the reason they've been doing everything, you know, appealing this and appealing that, and say, we want to get it all on the record. Because mm, so they that, are going to... So that when, not if, when mm. it is appealed... Because we, we know what the outcome is. We knew from the day that this whole thing started. Just like we know what the outcome is going to be in Atlanta and in the district, you know, the court of Manhattan. Yeah. Okay, the fix is in. We all know this. Mm-hmm. Trump's only hope is lies in appeal, possibly ultimately the Supreme Court, possibly for all three cases. So the, the idea being is that we get all of this information down, mm-hmm. all of the instances of clear bias, all of the absurdity of this case and that that will then make a, a huge difference so that it will, in fact, ultimately be overturned on appeal. Isn't it funny that as soon as the gag order was lifted, Trump goes and he, oh, start, oh, no, no. I mean, he starts railing? Sure, I mean, our reaction was, well, don't, he, don't, he hey. He must have just been exploded. Think about you know, the anguish. No, no, orange man, please tell us how you really feel now. So, yeah. And I'm sure that's not going to do any favors when that gag order is reinstated or even when he ends up back in back in court. Are you surprised that it seems like in Gorin, this judge has threatened repeatedly to, to, to imprison him, but he's not going through with it, is he? And it sounds like ju- uh, Trump has given him every reason to throw him in, in prison. He he walked out of, uh, oh, what, remember when he was on the stand last week, I think, he's, you know, he, he told him he's a fraud in court. Mm. And he said his whole staff is a fraud. And you would think well, that- Trump is not afraid to go to jail. And this is this is one of the I mean, for, for one thing, I mean, Trump, has, unlike most of us, has spent a good t- portion of his life defending himself in court. This is not something mm. I mean, it's so starting used to this huh? Well, way back in the 70s. I mean, he, the Trump family was targeted following the passage of the what the 1968 there was there was a there was a bill the fair housing act or something like that yeah. that and, and it was he a, lost that didn't he he, he and his father were immediately targeted yeah. for years they they tried to dismantle their real estate empire and, and and trump's response trump the younger's response you know his father had this very wholesome business plan which was we're going to go build starter houses for all of these people who are you know newly married you know world war ii vets all this kind of thing that's the idea. Was the idea, and then of course the you know the 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 anti discrimination crowd came in and ruined it and said, no, you're being you're only you know selling houses to white people and you have to bring in black people and all this type of thing. Yeah, they the, ruled the, against them. Right. They ultimately ruled. So Trump, the younger, said, well, okay, I, I, I real estate's what I know. It's what I want to do. So I'm going to do you know casinos and hotels and you know hospitality entertainment venues so that I can just avoid all of this. But nevertheless, he's he's had a big target on him his entire adult life for various reasons. And added to that, now he's gotten really old and cranky. You know the old thing. You know the, I'm I'm too old to be afraid of jail. That yeah. type of thing. He's he 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 doesn't fear this. And so for people with normal levels of inhibitions and relatively limited experience in the justice system, mm. it, it it's just inconceivable. That he could have this attitude, but he yeah. does. Yeah, and he keeps. I think a lot of people definitely a hero for our times. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of people when we look at everything he's going through, you, it's hard to imagine that any other, anyone else can can keep absorbing this. Thanks. Next up, Christian Gomez discusses the latest attempt to legitimize an Article Five convention. I, I certainly would not want a constitutional convention. I mean, whoa! <laughs> Who knows what would come out of that? Just imagine if we have a constitutional convention, the number of people who will be unhappy 
and the number of people who say the results are not valid, and then they'll just ignore the entire Constitution. What we need are just more people that would read the one we have. It isn't the Constitution that's the problem. It is the people who ignore the Constitution that usurp power and abuse the constitutional power that they ostensibly have. If you can't enforce an existing piece of paper, how are you going to enforce a piece of paper that has a little more writing to it? In other words, it's been amended. It's up to us to hold our elected officials accountable. What can you do to elect good representatives and senators in your state legislature who understand the Constitution and are willing to take a stand? Welcome back, folks. So joining me is John Birch Society Research Manager, Christian Gomez, who's here to discuss the latest effort to legitimize the idea of an Article 5 convention. Boy, this never stops, does it, Christian? Uh, I'm referring to uh, an op-ed by Rob Nadelson, I think it was it this week, uh, in Epic Times, where he essentially brings attention to, uh, uh, I guess, is it an essay from uh, someone at Heritage, uh, Republican think tank, and, uh, and he's basically saying, see, they uh, they say an Article 5 convention is not dangerous. This proves that we need to go forward with an Article 5 convention. So what do you make of that? Yes, you're correct. So earlier this week, uh, Robert Nadelson, who's a self-promoting uh, article, f- so-called Article 5 scholar, mainly because he writes many papers where he cites himself. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> so awesome. So I think his, I'm going to call myself a scholar. <laughs> so in his latest op-ed, which he has a column in the uh, Epic Times newspaper, he writes about how the Heritage Foundation has published this paper that supports mm-hmm. a convention of the states. And the paper is actually written by John G. Malcolm, yeah. a Harvard-trained lawyer who's the vice president of the Heritage Foundation's Institute for Constitutional hey, hey, before Government. Before we go forward, I, I, I just thought maybe we need to have a quick, quick summary about an, what is an Article 5 convention. Can can you do that really, really quick for our listeners who sure. may have not heard so before? So in the Constitution, there's just two methods by which the Constitution itself can be, um, that amendments can be proposed to it. Mm-hmm. One is at Congress. Two-thirds of both houses of Congress, the House and Senate, can um Propose amendments to the Constitution, which then have to be ratified by three-fourths of the states, either state legislatures or conventions in the states, Congress decides. Mm-hmm. The other method to propose amendments is where uh, the states, two-thirds of the states, apply to Congress for a convention. Right. So the legislatures apply to Congress, and then Congress calls this convention— uh, and at that point, delegates are selected. The Const- Article 5 does not say who the delegates would be, how they would be selected. No guarantee there will be legislators. Yeah. And then whatever comes out of this convention that proposes amendments, then it's up to Congress to decide, mm. uh, assuming only amendments come out of the convention, of course, it's up to Congress to decide whether those amendments will be ratified by three-fourths of the state legislatures or by three-fourths of special conventions in the states. So there's no guarantee that the state legislatures will control yeah. the process, which is what Nadelson and Malcolm of the Heritage Foundation yeah. are both stating in and both this, of their pieces, that and the states is, will control the process. Yeah, and this is something we vehemently oppose for a few reasons, including the fact that there's nothing wrong with the Constitution that we have now, and the risk far outweighs any benefit that 
could come out, say this thing doesn't go haywire, doesn't turn into a runaway, and there's no telling what, you know, who, who knows, maybe they'll rig it. I mean, it's not like they rig things, but you know, maybe this time they will. So anyway, so NATO, this is something we've been fighting. John Birch Society members have been terrific, especially this year. I wanted to point that out in legislatures where they've pitched these things and, um, and the, the constituents pressured their legislators, especially their state, well, their state legislators say, we do not want this. Uh, so anyway, so now Nadelson is coming. They've been trying to push this and Nadelson says, hey, by the way, now Heritage says this is a good idea. This is more proof that it's a great idea. Yeah, it, it, the article by Nadelson is hilarious um, in that it's far removed from reality. I mean, the only thing that's true in the article is just the intro where he said where he basically describes what the Article 5 convention is. And even when he starts to get into it, he starts to drift further and further from reality. For example, in, towards the beginning of the article, he says a convention of states or convention of states. Um, is a meeting of representatives from the state legislatures. He goes on to say that a convention of the states was enlisted by the Constitution's framers primarily as a way to bypass Congress. I mean, those things aren't true. Article 5 doesn't provide for a convention of the states, because when they use that phrase, convention of the states, they're trying to say that it's going to be a gathering of representatives of the state governments. And that's not what Article 5 uh, calls for. It's not a convention of state legislatures or a convention of state legislators. Um they redefine things to fit the narrative that they want you to get at ultimately, that they want you to um, accept. But further on down in his op-ed, Nielsen says, opposition comes mostly from the political left. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, like, well, I mean, it's funny because right before that, he gives a list of the things that we could use an Article 5 convention for. Number three on his list is reform campaign finance system, reform the campaign finance system. Well, which organization is promoting that? It's not COS. It's Wolfpack, which is a leftist organization that has ties with Soros uh, in that they're part of a a Soros-linked news consortium. Well, Mm. the Young Turks is, and the Young Turks is a host and co-founder or founder. Senk Uger is is also the founder of the Wolfpack organization. So um, they say here that political opposition comes mostly from the left. He goes on to say, uh, Nielsen here, these days, much of the opposition comes from groups funded by financier George Soros. Really, the John Birch Society is financed by George Soros? Because we've been the organization that's been kicking their butt in, uh, in not in blue states, but in red states like Idaho, Iowa and Wyoming this past year. Well, the Dakotas, at least one of the Dakotas. Yeah, too. South Dakota, Utah. Yes, uh, and uh, so it's like so. It, George Soros, Wyoming. Is, they've lost in Wyoming. It, These are like really red legislatures. It's not the left that's having victory there. It's it's uh it's the John Birch Society grassroots efforts of or of, of of our members working hard influencing the Republicans who control those legislatures yeah. to um dis, to oppose the, yeah. the Article Five Convention. What happens is, I mean, I've watched some of these hearings and, and of course, we have been so active and your team has been so, uh, so uh, influential or, or so central, central to providing information for our members and legislators. But what happens is, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but once they get in these hearings, when they hear the anti-con-con argument, the legislators eventually see the light. Uh, because it makes so much more sense, even though we're outgunned as far as resources, we know for a fact. I mean, this COS is dedic- is multi-million dollars a year dedicated to this one cause, and they're losing based on the argument. That's absolutely true. Um, 
when these legislators hear first from COS, all they hear is that this is this is this is beautiful. It'll work fine. Uh, there's nothing to fear. Um, and then all of a sudden, when they hear like a Robert Brown testify or any well-informed uh, JBS member, especially, go up and 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 break down, this is what Article Five actually says. Forget about the talking points from mm-hmm. COS. Forget about their fancy little videos and their laminated postcards. Let's look at what Article Five really says. Yeah compared to what COS claims are, and you start to see that the claims of COS do not line up with the text of Article 5. And we, that's how we've been defeating them in state after state. We just present the truth. COS is the organization that is extremely well-financed. Convention of States. Yeah, yeah, Convention of States putting up this this simulated convention, Williamsburg, Virginia. That they Virginia. Pay for. <laughs> Exactly. Were they, in, in fact... The whole reason why that's John, another thing Nadelson mentioned, right? John G. Malcolm of Heritage wrote his paper supporting the was convention. On the simulation was because he went to the simulation and was wooed. Well, let's look at the simulation. COS stacked the deck. Every single commissioner or delegate at the simulated concon that they held was handpicked, hand invited by COS personally. They were all current legislators or a few former legislators who all introduced or were a major co-sponsor of a COS resolution, like Illinois. Their, their, their two delegates were Republicans who introduced COS. I mean, because, because we all know at the real, at the real Article 5 convention, if there's ever one out in the future, Illinois is going to send conservative Republicans. It, yeah, it's not going to be these people. A so, fashion of conservatism. So Malcolm was just surprised. Well, there really wasn't much debate. Of course there isn't going to be debate. If you pick all your friends to come to an event and then you want them to produce something uh, to your liking, there's not going to be that much debate if they all already uh, agree on on the topic. And that's what we uh, see with this simulated convention. It's just one big... uh, it's yeah. just it's just smoke and mirrors. So 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 we haven't changed our mind then. We haven't been swayed. I, w- I was wondering. That was going to be my last question here. So so have we changed our position? It sounds like no. Uh, to our listeners and viewers, if you want to know more about this issue, we have a lot a lot of resources. You could go to jbs.org under action projects. You see stop a con con and Christian and his team has created so many materials, so much information, substance, and and then you could go to shop. JBS, right? Where we have pamphlets, Slim Jims, things that you can help others understand. Any any last words here on this before we check out? Yes, today? we just are launching in a few weeks here, the Article 5 Academy. So if you go to uh, no kidding. Uh, jbs.org forward slash uh, um, uh, concon, there's a, this Article 5 Academy there of, of short videos we recommend everybody oh, watch. It's terrific stuff. Thank you for all the work that you and your team are doing, Christian. And thank you everyone for listening. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of New American Daily. Remember, visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. We'll see you on Monday.